You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the pod on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, at Walker Mail, and at Not of the Scribe, where you can ask us any question you want to. It's an ask me anything type of deal. Doesn't have to be about the Charlotte Hornets. Doesn't have to be about the NBA. It could be anything you would like to know about us, and we will maybe answer it, depending on how good we think the question is or if we're willing to answer that. But again, make sure uh, you're following us on Twitter and also asking us anything for our mailbag what, edition of the show every single Wednesday. What are you trying Wednesday. to get at here, Walker? What, what are we- <clears throat> I just... Well, I just didn't want to say anything because I, did, I don't know what kind of reckless stuff we'd get in our mentions, and then I guaranteed that we'd answer it. So I just wanted to dodge any bullet like that. I thought that was fair enough, right? Like, there's the fine print yeah, the, that you fine. have Fine. There is the fine print. Like, again, I'm hoping somebody from the, again, one of our listeners will ask why you have not seen Snowfall or The Wire yet, but have seen Straight Outta Compton. I hope somebody has. <laughs> I just watched straight out of Compton for the first time, not too long ago. And I knew it was going to get, I don't know why I offer you that yes. information. It's really stupid yes, it by me, but I told you I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago and I liked it pretty good. It's an enjoyable watch. I didn't think it was the most accurate or the greatest thing I'd ever seen, but I had watched it for the first time a couple of days ago, which only reminds you that I have not seen some of these other shows. So you can come clown me if you want to and get in my mentions and then we can talk about it on Wednesday. But also, Nada, not necessarily a big clowning, but you laughed maniacally at me when I just threw it out there about 500 on this road trip, which I didn't expect. I was just saying, you know, two of four, three of three. What were you thinking? And you just pointed at me and yes. laughed and made me go hide in a corner and yes. fetal position. Well, they're one and one on this West Coast road trip after the win they got last night against the Phoenix Suns. Do you have new expectations for the Hornets or do you think this is one of the wins out of the two you were hoping for that they could get? You've just answered my question. I do believe that this is one of the two. This is one of the two because at this point, I saw what I saw from Steph before uh, the Hornets game. I don't think they're winning that game. I don't think they're winning tomorrow at mm-hmm. Golden State. I, I'd like to think that they're going to win a sac- at Sacramento. Who knows? Um... After that, I don't have any. I don't feel good about them playing in Portland the day after on a back to back. Like, I, if they get two, if they're two and four, I'm okay with it. Like, yeah, I am too. And and I was when we were talking about expectations. Like, yeah, you go three and three, you go five hundred on any road trip, it's good. But especially one with four out of the six playoff teams in the Western Conference when you're traveling all over the West Coast, two of four is fine. But we've seen the Hornets play good basketball against the Jazz the first three quarters, at least, of that game. And then Utah just blew them out of the water in the final quarter. Against Phoenix last night, we saw the Charlotte Hornets come back. Malik Monk helped them tread water in the first half with his 22-point performance, eventually leading the way with 29 and the seven that he scored in the second half. But not they got to win. What a fun game this was at the end, unless you have severe anxiety because of how close that became, and it should not have reached that point. Yes. Wild, right? Like, th- this was a moment I truly thought, oh, God, Devin Booker, 
was scoring at a pretty good rate against the Hornets. Chris Paul missed a couple of shots late that were huge, but it's Chris freaking mm-hmm. Paul. So I thought those guys with that chance after the Charlotte Hornets, uh, a lot one after LaMelo ball gave them a couple more opportunities with awful fouls and the officials gave him more time to work with. I thought, oh my God, this is Chicago Bulls, Zach Levine situation all over again. I, I thought that might happen because we all know bad things happen to the Charlotte Hornets, it didn't. but it didn't. Hornets, they hung on and they find a way to win after some pretty awful officiating. Yes. Let's get to it, Nada, because the end of this game was 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 crazy in the fact that how long it, we allowed Phoenix to stay in and how long the officials allowed Phoenix to stay in. Because that shot that Devin Booker hit, where he leans in to Gordon Hayward and he absolutely and leans him. in, hits Gordon in the face with his elbow, the shot goes in, the official calls a foul. James Borrego uses a challenge to say, no, that's not a foul on Gordon Hayward, which anybody watching it last night thought that Devin Booker or thought that Gordon Hayward was incorrectly called for that foul. They go to the replay monitor. They watch it for 15 minutes. They come back on the court and say, yep, foul on Gordon Hayward still. I mean, it was atrocious, and I'm glad other NBA uh, other NBA accounts thought the same thing. It, it's something we need to get rid of in the NBA, and I'm glad that the Hornets were able to survive that, but what an awful call on Gordon Hayward last night um, that on, on the defense he was playing that, against Devin The thing Booker. is at this point, like there are certain things that, you know what, I can understand that you can, that, that, that there are certain things that you can't do. Like the Cody Zeller charge that they challenged that, um, earlier in the third quarter uh, with Devin Booker, and they thought that Cody Zeller drew a charge and he didn't. That kind of defensive play I want to take out, where you do not allow the defender, the offensive player to move and land. That's a very dangerous play that they do need to take out, and we have to give the offensive player some some leeway there. What? But the thing is, that's not what Devin Booker did on that Gordon Hayward thing. That was a clear offensive foul, that was the rip-through move that I thought that the NBA had legislated out of the league, and apparently it's not. At this point, that's an offensive foul, and honestly, Gordon Hayward got called for the same thing a different way literally a week ago. So mm-hmm. at this point, I'm just – I honestly wonder, like, at this point, like, you just have to – like, you have to take it out because otherwise – that had between that and some really just really 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 bad decisions by the 19-year-old rookie this game was a lot closer at the end than it really had any business being at this point yeah and so you you mentioned okay so we we get the foul on Gordon Hayward where Devin Booker makes the 3 there's about 30 seconds left to go in that game it brings it to 122 to 120 or 122 to 119 when Devin Booker hits that free throw to complete the and one Miles Bridges misses a three-pointer on the other end but and he had already made a couple of big baskets before then so totally fine that he missed it but then LaMelo tries to hustle a little too much and gets called for the loose ball, uh, loose ball foul. Mikhail Bridges hits uh, one free throw to bring it within 122 to 120, misses the second. Gordon Hayward hits a couple of free throws. It's 124 to 120. And then, you know, all you have to do is just stay away from Chris Paul. And with three seconds left, LaMelo gets called for a personal foul. 
Chris Paul hits the first free throw, misses the second, but the ball goes out of bounds on Charlotte and the officials put 1.2 seconds left with a chance for Phoenix to tie it 124 apiece. Devin Booker eventually misses it and they hold on. But look, LaMelo and Miles Bridges came up with some huge buckets at the end of this game to continue to keep the Phoenix Suns at bay. LaMelo hit, uh, you know, he hit that dunk, right? That was a fun dunk where he hung around the rim for a little bit. He also made the driving layup high arcing shot. Bismack Biombo at least hit one free throw. That's all you could ask from him. Then Miles Bridges made both of his free throws when he was fouled. So some clutch time baskets, but those fouls by LaMelo ball, man, he's got to learn. And he can't literally, I just, I'm at the point where like, that's the, if that's the only thing we can complain about, then especially with a rookie, we're in a pretty good position. Like, 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 that's sure. But that can't happen again. Like that cannot happen again. They almost handed the, handed the Phoenix Suns a game back that they had, solidly snatched from them in the fourth quarter, which was something that I didn't think I was expecting. I was expecting, especially at that first ha- after that first half, and we'll talk about it more, to be watching Snowfall and catch the rest of this game on, on replay. But no, <laughs> they came back. Uh, yeah, it, <clears throat> and I thought, I, I certainly thought with Chris Paul being there, um, he hits that short corner jumper where he shakes Miles Bridges and just hits that shot like he's done a million times in his NBA career. I thought, yep, this is when they're going to start to come back. And eventually it, it was again, it was LaMelo Ball doing a good job in the fourth quarter was excellent. And then except for those foul calls and, and Miles Bridges keeping them at bay as well. So they were able to hold on 124 to 121 and they get their first win on this road trip that they're on out on the West Coast. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action football might be over but the nba college basketball and the nhl are in full swing bet online even covers awards tv shows and reality tv and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds it's the best way to place your bet and it's free to sign up so head to the website or you can use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code locked on. We'll talk about some more good individual performances and the second half of the schedule was released. That's all still to come on Lockdown Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. I do not like the MB2 nickname. That Lame- oh, it's bad. LaMelo, come yeah. on, man. I mean, look, I, I love everything else about you, but the MB times two. How in the world do you not like Airbnb, but you like MB times two? I, yeah. that's, that's bad. We can't allow him to create. And that's, the, that's the, the reason the rule exists. You can't give yourself your nickname. You can't do that. No, exactly. So, this is as I'm, bad as Kevin Durant wanted to call himself the servant. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, rumors are swirling about how long Albert Pujols has left in baseball. Is he the best player of his generation? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. You can subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your pods. Man, Albert Pujols, I hate that he fell off of a cliff when he went to the Angels because we're legitimately talking about one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. And then that time with the Angels, man, it's just like what's funny is he was so good. And then he's like starts hitting 280, 285 and, exactly. and still hitting 30 homers, which is still great. But the Cardinals was just a, a gross dude at the plate every single time he stepped up to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like literally the, he's a Hall of Fame. He, like he's Hall of Fame in two categories. 
Hall of Famer from just the baseball side of it. He's also a Hall of Fame finesser because yep. clearly he got the bag from the Anaheim Angels when he clearly wasn't worth it. That's Hall of Fame right there. Hall of Fame in two categories. <laughs> Yo, you can't like literally. You cannot cannot get any better than that. Uh, I, w- I want to listen to that one today. Locked on today. Peter Bukowski hosts. It's going to be fun. I, I love Albert Pujols watching him dominate from 2000 to 2010 and then go to the Angels. Still have some good years yet not be one of the best right-handed hitters of all time with the Angels. So I'm going to be listening to that as well. Um, one of the uh, better players for the Hornets here recently, it's been Malik Monk and you've seen him it the has. last uh, three of the last four games offensively. Nada. He's been very good against the Spurs in that loss that was on February 14th, because remember they had the long layoff. So um, that's, we're actually going back to a couple of weeks ago. He scored 23 points against the Spurs, seven of 13 from the field, five of six from distance against Utah, seven of 12 from the field, four of eight from distance. And then against Phoenix, 10 of 21 from the field, including the 22 point first half that he had five of 10 from distance for 29 points total Um, in the middle of that, by the way, against Golden State, he did struggle three of 11, one of seven from three, only seven points. But that was the only one in the last four games, not a. Uh, Malik spoke with media yesterday twice. He was actually the player available for everyone before the game and then afterwards mm-hmm. because he was the leading scorer and caught flames like he did in the first half. I, I think it's been interesting to hear Malik talk really the last couple of years discuss how he's maturing and growing up in the NBA. Now, you can maybe roll your eyes at that from the comments that he had last season and then he gets hit with this anti-drug policy violation and so maybe you want to roll your eyes and say yep I, i'm not going to buy into it that's fine I, I think what you've seen from malik has been a guy that is starting to get it a little bit more and this is somebody that just spoke yesterday after this game saying i just kind of grew up you know i started watching film i started taking everything seriously and you can see malik I think you can see that bear out this season because this wasn't a guy that whined while he wasn't getting any playing time, even though, in my opinion, clearly one of the better players on the team that deserved playing time and Borrego just wasn't giving it to him. COVID-19 affects that, too. And that's an important that's an important point mm-hmm. to bring up. I certainly understand that. But Malik instead discussed how he hit the gym constantly. His teammates backed him up and said, yeah, he has all the confidence in the world. But he also put a lot of work in rather than just pouting and moaning, not getting any minutes and offensively, you know, three of the last four games, he's had 20 points on crazy efficient shooting and not a, I saw you talking a little bit about this on Twitter last night, dude is he, he's not any worse. In fact, it's, I mean, it might be weird to say, but is there a worse perimeter def- or is there a better perimeter defender than Malik? Because I, I'm Devante's not yes. Lamelo's not, even though he can, he can go rogue and on ball. He still, you know, has some problems and Terry's certainly not like yeah, Malik. Isn't any worse defensively than anybody else out there in the backcourt, you know, defensively, he's bringing it offensively. Yeah. He's been playing well. I, I love what we've seen from him lately. Like I, I there's a part of me that would love, that would love to say like, by default, it's Miles Bridges when he has to defend one of the perimeter guys that are dangerous. Well, yeah, and no, I'm just talking about the the, but, the but perimeter guard guys. wise. Yeah, or yeah, guard, guard wise, guys. like guys that actually get run. Yeah, it's Malik. It's Malik, but that's a very low bar to clear. But for what Malik and this is where like because someone everyone every now and again likes to get in my mentions about Malik Monk, and. While I think that's it's fair and we can have jokes, we can joke back and forth. 
like my reticence to play Malik Monk had everything to do with the defensive end. Because if he was not going to be consistent offensively, putting him out there being the defensive liability that he was legitimately up until this year. I mean, up until this year. Yeah, we disagree on that. Like, I don't think he was a liability defensively. I think he was at the beginning of his career where he wasn't very good. And then I don't think he was as big of a liability as everybody else thought. And I think that's kind of bearing out to be even more true this season, especially when you don't have the other backcourt guys playing that great of a defense, um, uh, playing that great defense. But he's playing well right now and I'm glad to see it. And, and it seems like Malik, he's just fun to talk to, man. He's, he's, he's open now. He is taking things more seriously. And I'm, I'm the, the question is like, you know, what, what do you do with the backcourt? You know, it, it's, we talked about this with Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier. Where does Malik fit in all of this? Given the price point for all of these guys, Bobby Marks just released a trade asset piece on ESPN. And he said, the guys to watch, it was Malik Monk and draft picks. That's all he wrote. And he discussed the kind of up and down career that Malik has had here. And right now he's on the upswing. Does that mean that Charlotte's going to control him and and they're going to, you know, extend the qualifying offer, which I'd be angry if they didn't extend the qualifying offer to him. Oh, they're going to. Yeah. and, 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 but Bobby wrote like, you know, we don't know if they're going to, they have to, but I don't know about the long-term plans for Malik. I'm hoping he's here, but the backcourt's going to be fascinating to see how it shakes out from a ton of different angles. Like, I don't think that the, the backcourt, when we have this discussion, people want to throw mm-hmm. Terry Rogier in a trade. I think the easy answer is Devontae, though. I, I, I will continue to say that the easy answer is Devontae because he has overpaid by general generally the Knicks, but the Knicks have point guards now, so it doesn't matter. But... Devontae has that 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 label on him right now because people are going to look at what he does from three and want to bring him on. So, but when, when we have these conversations about Malik Monk and the personal growth and the d- growth that you can legitimately see on the court and the fact that he kind of really does want to be here, like that's the, that's the other thing about this. I'm not in the business of basically telling guys that don't want to be here or shipping guys off that actually want to be here. I don't want to do that because it's very rare that these guys quote unquote want to be in Charlotte. Like, mm-hmm. so why are we so ready to, and and it's like the other thing that I'm noticing is that miles bridges. Um, I know that we were having this kind con- these conversations earlier, but remember how miles bridges was always talking about respect and no one respects us. You know who's also picked that up? Malik Monk. Yeah. And if they're trying to earn the respect of the league, they're going about it in an, aw- in an awfully great way. And the fact that he wants to be here and change the way that this team is viewed in the na- NB- national NBA landscape, that like that's something that I don't I didn't think I would see from Malik Monk at all this season or at all in his career. And it's kind of awesome to watch. Um, yeah, and giving love to, <clears throat> excuse me, giving love to some uh, to Malik Monk. Uh, we can go back to Miles again, who was was big down the stretch. We talked about that hitting a three, uh, hitting the free throws. Eric Collins, <laughs> it was hilarious to hear him talk about Miles Bridges' free throw percentage. I believe he's thirty five for thirty seven on the season. Yes, he is. That, that's always been a knock on Miles. He doesn't get to the line, and that still's true. He's never gotten to the line at a frequent rate, and I, I'd still love for him to get to the line more because, especially now, I mean, if you're going to show that you hit all of the free throws that you ever take. 
let's be more aggressive and find ways to get you to the foul line a little bit more. But he's shooting 95% from the line and he shot 81% last year, still a good percentage, but he's barely taking over one a game. It's been the biggest knock on him. One of the biggest knocks on him, even coming out of college, that was a, a legitimate criticism. And, you know, he actually took two a game last year where you started to see him kind of control things a little bit more, try to take people off of the dribble games a little bit different, but that's nitpicking, right? Like what miles has done. Um, I, man, I just feel so much better about miles and what we've seen this year playing the four more, which I think we all kind of liked him playing that spot a little bit more, which is why I thought he was a little bit more expendable with PJ being the better power forward, in my opinion. But coming off of the bench, he's done very well, shooting at a good percentage. The three ball is falling for him at a good rate this year. I think defensively, he started to recognize things a lot more. He's starting to be a lot more comfortable offensively where he's making the right read. I just feel so much better watching Miles Bridges this season than I ever have. And I, I'm happy that I, I look at him and I see him have a, a real legitimate role on a team that can take that next level. And I didn't know that I, I felt all that good about him last year in that regard. And I do right now. Yeah, no, the, the, the big thing about like what, what Miles is doing is that he doesn't have to score for me to, to, to notice his fingerprints on the game. Like the biggest thing that I've I've seen is that he's learning and adapting in his role. And I just go back. We were talking off wax before the show started and we were talking. I was talking, telling you like that open three that he missed in Toronto. Clearly, he never forgot about it Mm -hmm. because when he had the same shot to hit the same thing to help put the Suns down, he nailed it. Like I am uh, I am consistently impressed by the growth and the work that Miles Bridges has done. Miles has clearly put in the work. And sometimes, and this is where I kind of want to lean into PJ a little bit, but sometimes if these guys fall on their face in their second year because we throw too much on them, that doesn't necessarily mean you throw the kid away. Yeah. And what Miles did was he learned, he adapted, he got better at what he needed to get better at, and he took it into his third season. And he's now a clear rotational guy for at least a playoff team. I'm not going to say a championship team, but at the same time, having those rotational guys that do the little things that can affect the game and don't necessarily need the ball every, every possession down the court, that kind of helps. Yeah. Those are the type of building blocks you need when you're trying to build a continual routine playoff team. I want to get to the schedule coming up next, but I also want to have a couple of final points on Miles and PJ. First, let's discuss rockauto.com. There's one reason to repair and maintain your cars, and it's to save money that you can then use for other important things like the mortgage or your food. Pretty important stuff to save your money for. So why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil. They even have new carpet. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. Tell them that Locked On uh, sent you in their How Did You Hear About Us box. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We have the second half of the schedule. We'll reveal it coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast.
This is Locked on Hornets. And the Google description here says, On contracts made before June, where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades, named or numbered, <laughs> B shares batik of New York, N.B.A. So take that for what you will. It's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The Yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C-. minus. Let's get them on. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. This week, we have two conversations for you to wrap up the month. First, a discussion on protest in sports across the leagues, and then you can tune in for a discussion on the importance of black history in sports, what's been achieved, and the important work left to do and to be done, all in discussion on the Locked On Presents podcast feed. You can subscribe, by the way, on radio.com app or wherever you get your podcast. I want to finish up the, the Miles and PJ thing because you discuss um, not wanting to throw away these guys that don't get it by the second year. And we mention it constantly. I was somebody that was more down than up on miles on what he could potentially be in the NBA, but it was never so much so that I wanted to get rid of him. right? Like we discussed yeah. this um, when we were leading up to the NBA draft, whether we should trade up to go get your guy, whether it be a Wiseman, whether you should trade up to go get a LaMelo ball before we knew who was going to fall and whatnot, just getting ready for the selection process. And even even I didn't want to get rid of Miles Bridges after his second season because it is crazy. You know, there, there are guys that don't get it until their third or even their fourth year in some cases. And that's a tricky line because you don't want to hold on for something that clearly is not going to work and then have burned a lot of the years that you could have turned that into something. But you have to have shown something enough to hold that's worth holding on to. And I always thought Miles did that enough at least for even if I didn't think that he was ever going to be this great player, I, I still don't think that the ceiling is crazy high on him, but he's, I mean, something has legitimately turned with miles this season where he is getting it a lot more and you have to be glad that they held on to him. And PJ is kind of going through some growing pains a little bit this year where the consistency has left him more so than what it was last year, but in a very similar situation, right? They're asking PJ to do a little more and perhaps a little less is more for PJ, just like it is for miles. You know, the field, yes. the field goal attempts for miles are down. I think about four a game and the percentage is up from distance and overall, and the decision-making is a lot better. I think PJ's decision-making is starting to be questioned. You know, I, the, the passes aren't the greatest in the world. And I, I think that's going to come back again when you don't put the ball in his hand as much. I don't have any problem with the shooting, right? Like he's already yeah. back up to 36%. And we've we've thought he struggled this year, and he's at thirty six percent again. So I'm I'm cool with that. Um, I just both of those guys have a role for this team. I I don't think when we were trying to ship one of them, and and it was Miles because PJ was was good last year as a rookie. Yes, I, I think we're starting to figure out we don't have to ship one of them for it to work here, right? Right? Like this isn't a Devonte and Terry situation the way we're talking about it right now. Both of these guys can have a role on this team and still be successful. Absolutely. And they both do a lot of things very, very well. And they add to that positional versatility that Mitch has always talked about from the day one. So they both have roles on this team. Both can play multiple positions at the same time. Like 
it's just we got to let them figure this out. And it goes back to a, a consistent theme, at least for me right now. It's year two of rebuild. Like, this is year two. This is not like year one. Year. We have to expect the growing pains. Granted, we're ahead of schedule. A lot of that is due to the coaching. And, and that's something that I don't think we highlight nearly enough is the coaching, especially when you start talking about net rating. Again, clutch net rating, which we talked about yesterday, and them being one of the best in it. I really do believe, though, that this team is developing guys in a certain way. And it, I think it's just now a feature. Like the second year where after there are some expectations, there's going to be that dip. We're probably going to have the same conversation, God willing, about LaMelo next year, about why his numbers don't look as good, but at the same time, not being ready to throw him away. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going to – anybody exactly. that suggests throwing him away is going to be nuts. Yeah, but at the same time, but but you see what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, like no, I do. there's going to like growth isn't linear. We've said this mm -hmm. on this podcast for as long as you've been on it, for as long as I've been on it. Growth is never going to necessarily be linear when it comes to this. And I think that if Hornets fans take that, like, don't expect growth to always be linear. Don't expect all of this stuff, especially from guys that are still figuring out, especially when you only have a certain amount of like less than two weeks to really figure it out before the season starts. So at some point, I think we just needed we need to be patient with everybody, and there are going to be those growing pains. And again, the the schedule is going to allow us to experience those grow, growing pains in real time, whether we like it or not. Yeah, and 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 uh, one other thing, we talk about these guys coexisting: a Devonte and a Terry, and a PJ Washington, and a Miles Bridges. You know, it can't be overlooked that the money is going to allow more for Miles and PJ to coexist a little bit more too, right? Because we can see Devontae and Terry be successful on the court, certainly offensively at the same time, but the money is just not going to work out nearly as much so for that to happen because can you justify paying what it's going to take to keep both of them in important roles for this team more so than giving PJ what he might call for down the road and Miles what he might call for down the road. And, and it's, it's just going to be less. It's going to be less to keep a Miles and a PJ, in my opinion, than it is going to be for a Devontae and a Terry. And so even, even on the court, it making more sense for Miles and PJ to coexist, like just starting it off of the bench, how we don't have to get rid of one of them. The money is going to allow for that too, just as much as just the pure basketball standpoint. So just wanted to uh, bring that one up as well. All right, now let's get to the second half of the schedule. We've held it off let's long enough. The NBA released the schedule for the second half of its season. And it starts for the Charlotte Hornets after a seven-day break in early March. So the Hornets play five consecutive road games against the Western Conference in mid-March. They finish this road trip up, and then they go right back out to the West, really in mid-March. So not a huge break uh, where they get to chill here in Charlotte and on the East Coast. That includes, by the way, back-to-back -back games in Los Angeles against the Lakers and the Clippers. The Hornets will play 37 of the 72 regular season games after the break. They're going to play 19 of those 37 games at the Spectrum Center and 18 on the road. So about as even of a split as you could get with 37 games left to go. And we get two primetime games. The LaMelo ball effect, it is here and it is true. You get two primetime games, one on TNT mm -hmm. and one on ESPN. And if you want to be like our friend David Walker, who is going to come on the show tomorrow, we're going to do the every other week Friday appearance for David Walker. If you want to count the NBA TV appearances as national primetime games, Okay, feel free. You've got two of those as well. So four, if you want to count those, two um, 
uh, with one on ESPN and one on TNT. What are some of the uh, thoughts and uh, observations that you have on the schedule release? The last 10 games, um, have we have we considered the potential that if this team is in the, in the sixth spot with about three or four games left to go, and it, I'm sorry, we're like a game like a game away from like in the sixth spot. Have we considered the possibility that Nick Batum comes back to the to Charlotte on May 13th and knocks them into the playoff playing game? Oh wow, and, I like that nice angle, Nick Batum. <laughs> when, yeah, when when yeah. the Hornets need uh, need a win the most to stay out of the play in. Oh yep. man, that's going to be hilarious if Nick Batum, uh, whatever he does, if it's going it, to it's going to do something that pisses off the Hornets fans to the nth degree, whatever Nick yeah, Batum like, does. Like in that legitimately, game. like have we considered this possibility cuz it's very possible because the Hornets play the Clippers three again, May 13th. That's their third to last game. Mm-hmm. People really need to consider that, that that may be a game that they need and that Nick Batum comes back and burns them. Also, the other two things, the national games, I, again, granted, I'm naturally pessimistic when it comes to the Hornets. I'm extremely pessimistic. That the, the first of those games, April 1st, is a back-to-back after they play the Washington Wizards. So you hope that they dispatch them awfully early because otherwise it's not going to be a very competitive game. And the other one... April 25th on ESPN with Kemba Walker coming to town. I, I, I don't like, I don't like this one Walker. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. The Brooklyn one, because the nets are so good and they've been, I mean, impossible to stop offensively since Harden has been there and embraced the facilitating role to face Brooklyn on the road, the second night of a back to back and to have four other road games after that. That's another long road trip that the Charlotte Hornets are going to be on Mm -hmm. right after that Brooklyn game. I'm with you. That one seems like we're ready to get exposed nationally. I, I I don't want to get embarrassed either. It seems like that has that potential. We'll see where Boston is. It's not been the year that anybody expected from the Celtics. It's funny. You would, you would think if Jalen Brown is an all-star this season and one of the more improved players of the NBA, then the Boston Celtics are below the Hornets in the standings this far through. That's crazy. Yes. I mean, yes. it, you know, and, and Kimba has been trying to navigate through this knee injury He's done a decent job because it seems like the Celtics have been resting him on the second night of back-to-backs, but it's also uh, not a great percentage from him shooting-wise this year. It's been okay from distance, but overall, it's not been good. So the Celtics, they have a real problem. Marcus Smart needs to come back and help them out as well. But man, who would have thought Jalen Brown would improve as much as he has and the Celtics would be below 500 where they've got two legitimate all-stars on that team. Crazy to think. Um, yeah, not, I think for me, the thing that I notice is, I think you pointed this out on Twitter. So Tankathon has them with the seventh easiest remaining schedule left. That's good news. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that last 10 games or so on the schedule. You know how the Hornets have had it in for Detroit. They play the Pistons on May 1st and May 4th among that last 10 games or so that they have. So you've got the Pistons twice. You've got Chicago. You've got Orlando. And then to finish up, you got New York and you've got Washington. I would say the Hornets are better than all of those teams. If you wanted to say, hey, watch out for the Knicks. Okay, fine. But I still think the Charlotte Hornets are better than the New York Knicks. I'm not saying they're going to win all of those games, but that's a lot of teams in the last 10 games where you need wins that the Hornets are better than. 
I'm excited about that. You also have the Detroit Pistons early in the second half of the schedule. It's in fact going to lead us off on March 11th. So maybe you can start this uh, schedule with a win against the Pistons there. You've, and to me, it, I think it matches up pretty favorably. It, you, yeah, you've got some tough ones. You got the West Coast road trip again to start us all off. But down the stretch, you can certainly make up some ground, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you can actually make up some ground. I just want to get to the, at least to the, like, after finding out how the playoff playing games are going to work, I just want to avoid it at any given cost. And just to explain it for everybody, the for those that haven't seen it, the playing games are going to work like this in the, in each in on each side. Seven and eight are going to play each other in one game. Nine and ten are going to play. The winner of the seven eight game is automatically seven. They're done. The loser of the seven eight game, the winner of nine ten, plays for the eight seed. So what's going to happen is if the Hornets are not in a position to where they don't have to compete for a sp- for a spot. They're going to be playing two additional games on top of probably getting thrashed by either Boston, but by one of the two top two teams. Either it's going to be Brooklyn or I think it's Milwaukee at this point now. So I don't like that. I don't like that scenario at all. And I don't think you should like it as a Hornets fan. So the only thing I'm hoping for right now is just let's just get to let's get to six. Is the, is the strength of schedule strong enough or weak enough to where they can get to six? Because anything else, and that's a roll of the dice. And um, I'm not sure they're a top six team this year either. All right. We did get a tweet in, not I want to read out. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw this, but Luke Giaconetti, I think is what it is. It's at LJ A. Cone. Hey, Locked on Hornets. And uh, he said, hey, Locked on Hornets. Locked on NBA podcast said today the end of the Hornets Suns game was controversial for a non foul call on Hayward. Only controversy I saw was Booker avoiding an offensive foul and refs giving Suns more time for catch and shoot. What are your thoughts? Hell yeah. NBA, yeah. we're going to have to listen to that podcast, but call it even. I mean, don't even call it even. Just call it finally the Hornets getting what they deserved after having a BS foul call on Gordon Hayward on the Devin Booker made three to complete the and one. I don't care. I know Chris Paul was yapping at the refs and so was Devin Booker for the fact that there wasn't a foul call on Gordon Hayward. I mean, balance that out, man. I don't care. Like, I mean, I mean, I think every Hornets fan feels the same exact way because it was BS. What was called on Hayward? It was awful. And the fact that they didn't call it on him at the end, that was hell a good no call in my opinion, given what happened earlier. Yeah, no, that is a good. Like literally, I, I, we have to talk to the locked on man. Let's do it. Where's the locked on solidarity, Walker? We, I don't know. There should have been solidarity. Like, nope. there's no solidarity anymore now. Uh, I mean, if we're gonna look at, we're, are we looking out for more for uh, locked on Suns? I see how it is. Hey, don't come in and reap the benefits of Lamelo Ball if you're just gonna give more love to locked on Suns. When and then, hey, oh, Lamelo Ball's been been so good, he's gonna be an MVP candidate. And then you come to us. Nope, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna remember this time when you decided to give the Suns more love than us here with the Hornets. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again for supporting the show. We always appreciate it. Tell your smart device i guess to play the most recent episode of locked on nba but if you do get in their mentions and say hey 
wrong uh, analysis there at the end of the game. It was BS for the Hornets, not for the Phoenix Suns. Um, and uh, we've got one more show to come up, by the way, tomorrow to finish out the week. OG is coming on the show. OG Walker, David Walker, going to be joining us to talk about shoes. I know Nada has something he wants to bring to the plate. Also, we will be discussing some of our tweets from the past week, and we can explain ourselves once again. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us.